Well, happy Sunday morning, everybody. Come on, I can get better than that, can I? Happy Sunday to you. Hey, uh, I wanted to give a quick disclaimer. Um, my voice is really weak today, and so I'm going to do a little, I'm going to try to do a Cliff Notes version of my sermon, and I said that the last service, and I think I actually preached longer, so <laughs> we'll see what happens, but I've been sick the last few days, and I woke up today, and my voice is just, um, it, just not real strong, not there, so um, I got to Pastor Joe up on the front row, going to be my backup. I gave him my sermon notes this morning and said, I don't know what's going to happen at that 11 o'clock service. I don't know if I can make it there. So, um, so anyway, just wanted to welcome you guys. Glad that you're here today. Over the last few weeks, we have been in this series called Built on This, where we've been looking at these biblical bedrocks of the New Testament church. What is the church built on? There's a lot of churches that look different. And the way that they build up from their foundation um, takes different shapes and sizes and stuff. But the foundation needs to be secure, needs to be the same. And so we've looked at pursuing God. What, what is that? Pursuing God. What is it to make sure that your identity is found in God alone and that you seek him above everything else? We looked at that. We looked at uh, what it looks like also to reach others. And listen, we all need reminded of this. Because our nature is that we start to get focused inward. And so the Great Commission reminds us that we're called to go into the world that God created and that he loves and to share the good news with them. And we talked about what it is to raise up our families. And it's the greatest calling. In our, it's our greatest responsibility in our life above, above church, above jobs, above everything else our family, raising them up. And not just our personal family, but the family of God. Now today, as we wrap up this series, we're going to turn to where the rubber meets the road, and that is in giving ourselves. What does it look like to give of ourselves to see God's church built? Now, when I say that this is where the rubber meets the road, I think it's important for us to acknowledge at least that the point where the rubber meets the road is where friction happens and where things often seem to heat up. And you know what friction produces, don't you? It produces this. <laughs> it produces frustration. <laughs> and you feel the heat and you feel the tension. That, that's what friction is. Some people, when they feel the heat, they get to screaming like this kid. Other people, when they feel the heat, they get to praying. And let us be a church that in this season, where the rubber meets the road, we head to prayer. We don't have to talk so much with each other. That's good. But we need to be sure that we're talking to the Lord. That's our calling, and that's where we're headed right now. We want to see our church family thrive in this season. In Isaiah 46, 9 to 11, God says, I will accomplish my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Now that's a comforting verse because you have to acknowledge that when God says that he's got a plan and a purpose, and he says, I will not let anything stand in my way of seeing it fulfilled. That's comforting. That's comforting in your own personal life. It's also comforting in the life of the church. 
Nothing will stop God's plan from being fulfilled. This morning, I want to begin with a question, though, and that is, how are God's purposes accomplished in the church? How are God's purposes accomplished in this church? When God has a unique vision or a plan for a church, how are those things fulfilled? Over and over, Scripture shows us that it's through His people. Now, that's not a... That's not like a surprise. That's what I'd call one of those Captain Obvious statements. It's like, well, yeah, of course. When God wants to do something in the church, he does it through the church. That makes sense for sure. When God intends to do great things, he sets his people to action. Philippians, in chapter 2, verse 13, it tells us, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. So God chooses to work through his people to fulfill his purposes. Now, that's pretty comforting also until you realize who he's working through. It's you and me. And that's when you start saying, like, God, I mean, you got a plan B? You know who you're talking about? You know who you're dealing with here? And God looks at us, and he says, I will fulfill my purpose, and I will use you to do that. So going all the way back to the Old Testament, you see that God has always promised to provide vision and provision for his people. Vision came through his priest and provision came through his people. Both came from God and both came through God's people. God gives us a calling and a vision and then he gives us time, talents, and treasure to carry it out. Now, this is just the beauty of how God works. It's how he works in your life. It's how he works in my life. He gives you a calling. He gives you a vision. And then he gives you the provision to see it happen. Nothing will stop God's plans from being fulfilled. And as his children, we're called to steward his provision in order to see his vision fulfilled. In the New Testament, there are two Greek words that are translated steward, and both of them have significance for the church today. The first one is epitropos, and it has to do with relationships. It speaks of one who has been entrusted as a custodian or a guardian. Parents are to steward their children. It's a vital piece of why we are called to raise up families. You're you're called by God, epitropos. You are responsible to steward your children. And we have a good friend that lives in uh, Missouri. Um, This has been a number of years ago that they had their very first child, and we were at the hospital and celebrating with them, and the nurse walks in and hands this baby girl to the dad. His name's Brett, and Brett looks at it, and he just starts shaking, and he looks at his wife, and he goes, oh my goodness, we got to keep this thing alive. (laughs) I don't know that that's exactly what epitropos meant, but there is a responsibility. God has entrusted you with this child. You're responsible for raising this child up to fulfill his purpose in that child's life. 
Now, the second word is oikonomos, and it has to do with resources. So the first one has to do with relationships. Oikonomos has to do with resources. And this speaks of a person who has been entrusted with someone else's stuff, someone else's resources, and he's supposed to manage those resources according to the owner's vision and purpose. So when God has blessed you with stuff, with resources, and he's made you responsible to use those to fulfill his vision and purpose. Scripture calls us to recognize that everything we have is a gift from God, and those gifts are to be used for his glory and to further his kingdom. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, they belong to him. So God is our loving creator. He has absolute rights to ownership over everything in this world. And to miss starting there is to like miss the top button on your shirt. This morning I was struggling with getting my buttons lined up. Have you ever done that before? And you, you get your top button off and if your top button is off, everything else is off, right? If you miss starting here, that everything we have is the Lord's. Nothing else will line up. People struggle their whole life recognizing that their stuff, the blessings that God has given them, they all started with him. And they struggle in life because they forget and things don't line up and they think it's their stuff and what they want to do. And they can't figure out why they're not fulfilled with their stuff because they missed the top button. You got to get it right from the very beginning. It's God's stuff. He's blessed us with it and he's called us to use it according to his purposes. So he's given us a certain amount of time. He's given us certain gifts and talents, certain positions and authorities, and certain funds. And these are all considered resources. God blessed us with them. And why did he bless us with them? Well, let's, let's think about this. Why did God give me resources? Well, I think in part, it's so that I could get a job, make money, buy things, go places. I believe that was all part of God's intention. But the ultimate expression of everything that God has given me is actually found in his kingdom. How do I use the stuff that God has given me to build his kingdom? It all comes down to this reality. God wants his people to use his stuff for his purposes to build his kingdom. That's what it comes down to. God wants you to use his stuff for his purposes to build his kingdom. So what does that look like? What does it look like to give yourself to God's purposes? I think that's a valid question that every one of you should be asking, okay? Every one of you ought to be thinking these things on a regular basis, not just on a, a Sunday when a pastor is talking about it, but you ought to be going through life saying, God, what does it look like for me to invest in you, in your kingdom? It's a great question. We're called to steward the gifts that God has given us to use the stuff 
to build his kingdom and his church. So let me give you three ways that scripture identifies for us to give ourselves. The first is to pray. Prayer is the greatest use of our time on earth. That's because when we work, we work, but when we pray, God starts to work. How many of you guys would just be really honest right now, and you'd agree with me that above everything else, you want God to work at this church? Okay? You've got plans for this church. You've got thoughts and ideas and dreams for South Suburban, and I do too. But above our ideas, above our ways, above our plans, we want God's plans, don't we? That's what we truly want. And so we want God to work at this church. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Now, besides the fact that that steps on our toes because we're, we're guilty of complaining about a lot of stuff in life, I think it's easy for us to maybe uh, misunderstand this passage, just, just um, maybe taking it out of context a little bit, because it doesn't mean that you aren't concerned about things in life. It means that you should not give worry the upper hand. Give it to the Lord. Don't be anxious. Get to praying about South Suburban. In those times when you start to feel like something is happening that you can't control or something is taking place that you, didn't, you weren't able to do something and you weren't able to be a part of it and you didn't like a decision. Or, listen, it happens for all of us. I'm not stepping on your toes. I'm stepping on all of our toes. It happens. In those seasons where we begin to worry, we should begin to pray. That's what Scripture tells us. If it's worth worrying about, it's worth praying about. Number two, the second is to give. Giving financially to support the work of the ministry at South Suburban. Now, here's one of the, the trends that is a, a troubling trend in America today, and that is that the younger the generations, the less they are willing to give financially to support the, the work of the kingdom. And I think that maybe part of it is because there's just not enough teaching on it that's happening right now. Um, there's a lot of pastors who are, are not, uh, well, they're afraid to talk about finances from the pulpit. You know how much scripture talks about finances? A ton, a ton. I want you to be health, like financially healthy. And I know that one of the keys to that is that your finances prioritize their place in heaven the same way that everything else does. We say that our life should be focused on the kingdom and our finances should be as well. Younger generations are really struggling with that. Here's what scripture says. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. And this biblical principle here is that you prioritize the Lord's work in everything, including your finances. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, but just as you excel in everything, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. A few weeks ago, we talked about the um, unhealthy tendencies in churches that are going through transition. Do you remember when we talked about that? It's a few weeks ago, and I said, well, it's not this church, but other churches that deal with these things, right? One fact that's relevant to our message today, that there is a tendency in churches that are going through transition for the congregation to hold on to their wallets rather than to help the church thrive through change. 
the end result is that it hurts the very church that they love so much. That makes sense, doesn't it? When you step back and you go, why would I withhold my tithe or withhold my giving from my church at a season when my church needs it most? But that is a, a, a tendency of churches that are going through change, and through transition. So here, here's my, my edification to you. Let the Lord be first in your finances. Make him first in every part of your life. Make him first in every part of your life. Number three, the third is to serve. Find a place to serve the church. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There are a lot of great opportunities to serve at the church here. You'll hear more in the upcoming weeks and months, but there's opportunities to lead small groups, to serve coffee. Can I get a hallelujah on that one? Or impact a kid's life in kids' ministry or in youth ministry. I want to I encourage you, find the most significant way that you can contribute and jump in. It's been said that no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Find a place to serve. It's your church. It's your family. Give of yourself in serving as well. God has a lot in store for South Suburban in the coming months and years ahead of us. And we all want the best for this church, don't we? Well, let me, let me phrase it this way. I'll take that amen and have another one. Who's, who else is out there? Let me phrase it this way. Nobody in this room in their heart is saying, you know what I hope happens in the next few months? I hope people leave this church. I hope the finances sink. Nobody's saying that. People want the best. They want the best for the church. We want to pursue God above everything. We want to raise our families to know him and serve him. <clears throat> we want to reach others around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But sometimes things get in the way. Things get in the way. Things stop us from giving ourselves. There's two things that come to mind right away. The first one is a different vision. The second one is broken communication. Let's talk about that real quick. If there's differing visions, instead of pulling together, you pull against each other. And it keeps the church from moving forward. In fact, it kind of just creates a deadlock, a stalemate. Broken communication... Sometimes our hearts may be able to align on something, but we're not willing to talk about it. Or maybe our hearts already are aligned, but we're not willing to show that. And it happens. Communication is really important, and we need to be able to talk through some of those things. And so here's what I'd love to do with just the time that we have left today in our service. I'd like to just have like a family meeting where we just, let's just talk. Let's just talk. A couple weeks ago, um, some people weren't really happy about the, the pulpit change, and they came up and they asked me, and I wasn't offended because we were able to talk, and I was able to share, and we were able to get in alignment and start moving forward. Listen, guys, communication is healthy if it's done the right way. So, um, well, let me use this as an example real quick. <clears throat> if you talk about the pulpit to somebody else, that's not healthy. 
that's complaining. If you have a question and you want to ask, come talk to me, that's super healthy. Communication is healthy. We just got to do it the right way. So here's a good opportunity for us to have kind of like a family meeting. In our house, uh, we have family meetings every once in a while. And um, we, in fact, we have a, an old school bell um, that when I grew up on the farm in Kansas and my mom wanted to call us in for dinner, she'd go outside and she'd just ring that bell and we'd come running from everywhere. And this works great for us at our house when we want our kids upstairs and there's a reason, maybe it's for dinner, maybe it's, it's time for us all to come together and talk. We ring that bell, so here's the, the bell ringing. Let's, let's talk, okay? Let's talk. What is it gonna take for us to see this church move forward and what God wants for it? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? What's it gonna take? I can tell you simply, it's gonna take a united vision that we're all in on. And when I say all in, like all in, yes, and it's going to take everyone doing their part using the gifts that God has given them. It's going to take the vision, and it's going to take the provision to see the church move forward. A lot of you guys have been asking over the past month, what kind of change can we expect at South Suburban? Raise your hand if you've been wondering that. It's okay. No, nobody's taking a picture to talk to you later about this. Okay? <laughs> well, maybe I will. Let me... Okay. So you've been wondering... What kind of changes can I expect? There's a lot of things that I think as a church we're praying about, we're seeking the Lord. There's details that I think are gonna come in the future. Um, Psalms talks about the, the scripture being a light unto our feet, our path, and a, a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I should have written this one down. Okay. The fact that sometimes we know just enough for the next step but then sometimes God illuminates the whole path in front of us. And right now, it almost feels like we just know the next couple of steps, and we're praying, God, would you illuminate that path for us so we can see down the road a little ways? It's nice when you can plan, isn't it? It's really nice when you can plan. But that's kind of where we're at right now. I do know one thing that I believe we can all rally around, and that is that we truly want South Suburban to be a multi-generational church. Are we all in on that? We really want this church to be a place where all generations say, that's my church. Here's one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that I'll talk to kids and they'll say, I, I go to my parents' church or I go to my grandparents' church. Or I'll talk to parents and they'll say, I go to my kids' church. That's not identity. We want South Suburban to be a place where everybody, all the generations say, that's my church. That's my church. Now, what's that going to take? What does that look like? I can tell you this. It looks a little bit like each of us. It looks a little bit like a six-year-old. It looks a little bit like a 60-year-old. When people walk in, they need to be able to identify, this is my church. That's part of the uncomfortableness because what that means is, do I say it? out loud, change. It requires change because we want the whole family to say, this is my place. There's a couple things that I want to talk to you about as we do that this morning. We want all the generations to say South Suburban 
is their church. And there's two kinds of change that occur in churches today. There's intentional change and there's drift. Now, no one drifts into excellence. No one drifts into excellence. There's a reason why boats and planes have rudders on them. It's so that you're not drifting, but that you actually, you can be intentional in what you're doing and where you're going. You must be strategic. Intentional change is the stuff that great churches are made of. That means we have to be intentional in our focus. And so that means also that we're going to have to uh, go through this difficult process of prioritizing others over our own preferences. And this applies to all generations. It means that a 16-year-old can't say, this is supposed to be all about me. It also means that a a 55-year-old can't say, this is all supposed to be about me. In the sermon that we're talking about today, giving ourselves, I think it's worthy to note that one of the most difficult things to give up is our preferences. It's easier to give money and give time than to give up our preferences sometimes. But we've got to wrestle with that, guys. We've got to wrestle with that. One of the ways that, uh, that we plan to be intentional is by giving identity to our foyer. And uh, a lot of you guys have asked about this in the last couple of weeks already. What does a multi-generational facility look like? That's another great question. If we go back to the fact that we say it looks a little bit like each of us, what does that mean the facility looks like? We've got a rendering of the, the foyer up here that I want to talk you through real quick. Designated spaces for the, for the family. My house looks like this. That when my kids come in, it's not just mom and dad's house, it's their house. But when my wife and I walk in, we need to be able to go, oh, this is our house. It's not just a madhouse, you know? <laughs> Designated spaces. <clears throat> the area of the stairway for the kids. Um, what should that look like? I'll tell you this it should look like kids which probably means bright colors. You know what I don't like? I don't like bright colors. (laughs) You know what I don't like in my house? I don't like bright colors. But you know what's in my kids' rooms? Bright colors. Why? Because it's a family home for the family. And so I want spaces where my kids say, that's my room. Uh, We've got a youth area, Levi's house, that lobby back there. We want the youth to be able to walk in and say, this is my place. This is my church. What's that look like? Well, it doesn't look like a 44-year-old guy, that's for sure. But I want my teenage daughter to walk in and say, this is my church. This is my place. Is that what we want? If we want to be a multi-generational church, is that what we want? Now, that was a little less enthusiastic than the last time I asked. (laughs) It's because we're wrestling already. We're just letting go of some things. We want it to be a place that kids identify with. The seniors in this church probably stand to be the ones who experience the most change. But the seniors are one of the most valuable generations in this church. They built the foundation that we stand on today. And so we want to make sure that we have space for seniors as well. 
When they walk in, they can say, this is my comfort area. I can get away from the bright colors and I can, I can go to, it's my place. This is my comfort zone. This is my identity. This is my church. Now, the area that, that uh, is left is really the, the middle ground, the general lobby. And it's really, it's common ground. And basically what I mean there is that when you have all the generations present, you have to find middle ground. And we call it middle age. <laughs> A 40-year-old. What's the, what's the lobby going to look like? Basically, it's going to look more like a 40-year-old. You, when you walk in, you want it to feel like a family facility. So there's, this isn't a detailed rendering of the four-year. This is vision. This is for you to be able to grab a hold of and even wrestle with and say, okay, multi-generational, if that's where we want to go, then it has to, be, it has to look a little bit like each of us. And we've got to be willing to be intentional in the change that we're talking about here. Another way of being intentional as a multi-generational church is the development of our services. What you experience in this room right here, what does a multi-generational church look like when you look at the services? Well, here's what we do know. It's a place where all generations can have a meaningful experience in worshiping God in a style that's relevant to them. There's probably a reason you chose the 9.30 service. It may be the style of the service. It may be the time. But we do know that style plays a role. And we want to make sure that we're working hard to build both of our service styles right now with the traditional and the contemporary services. We value both of those styles, and we want to see both of them healthy and thriving. So multi-generational churches have to look at service times, they have to look at service elements and service styles. And some of those topics are going to be addressed in the service consolidation meeting that's right after this service today. It's going to be over in the, the fellowship hall there. I encourage you guys to attend. You'll hear more about that. So here, listen to this. Style. Decor. Music. Vernacular the way we talk. It all plays a role. But ultimately, the multi-generational church is about relationships. And I hope this really sinks in today because we could change our facility, we could change our services, but if relationships don't happen between the generations, we're not a multi-generational church. We're an organization that has multi-generations in attendance but a church is a family and it's a relationship. So the most valuable part is actually on you. And that is building relationships across the generations. In our first church that my wife and I pastored at, it's been a number of years ago uh, now, but um, <clears throat> we, were, uh, we were working on raising up some young adults within the church. And it was a little bit older church and so we, we had started this young adult ministry, and within a few years, we had 100 young adults attending this church that had like 300 adults and 100 young adults, and they just felt like it was an invasion. I mean, all of a sudden, it was like you and your loud music and your trendy clothes and your blah, blah. I mean, it, it, it was two churches in the same building until we said, you know what? 
The thing that we're missing here is the relationships. And we talk to our college students about being intentional in building relationships across the, the generations. And so one of the girls named Carrie, I think she was a sophomore at the time, um, she decided that she was going to sit in the back row by a 65-year-old woman that she had never met before. She just felt like God had her sit down beside her, and she sat down. And the, I think the woman said something like, um, I'm sorry, did you need the, these seats? And Carrie said, no, I, I wanted to sit by you. And the lady like tears up because in 12 years of attending that church, nobody had ever chosen to come sit by her. Nobody had intentionally said, I want to sit by you. She'd come in and she'd sit in the back and she'd leave. Relationships change everything. And it changed that woman's life too. She became a big part of the church. She started building friendships with other people around her because of a college student, somebody 45 years younger than her that said, I want to build relationships across the generations. And that church became really healthy because of the relationships there. So the onus is on you. That's so nice for me to say for once. It's up to you guys. It's all up to you. If the relationships don't happen, if you don't start looking at people like family instead of outsiders, a multi-generational church will never truly come together. The great thing is, we have this common ground that's called Christ. And the love that we have for him makes us brothers and sisters. It's a beautiful thing about church. <clears throat> I can tell you that the, the, there are some great leaders in this church, and you guys know. They're working hard on developing designated spaces for the generations and designated service styles for the generations, but the real work comes down to this body as they develop relationships across the generations. So I began the message with a question, and now I'll wrap it up with one as well. What role will you play in moving your church forward? This morning, I'm not asking you to fill out a card or to raise your hand. I'm asking you to go to the Lord Say, God, I know that you've given me stuff. I know that you've gifted me with things. I know that you've given me time. I know you've given me finances. What are you asking me to do? What, is, what does it look like, Lord, when you call me to give myself to build your church? I'd love for you to wrestle with that. In the next few weeks and months, you're going to have some opportunities to fill out cards or raise your hand and say, I want to volunteer here or I want to, you know, that, that opportunity will come. But right now, the opportunity is really between you and the Lord. What does that look like? What is God calling you to do to move your church forward? I'm going to close here in just a moment with a word of prayer. But I would love for you to wrestle with that. I'd love for you to reconcile yourself with, with the Lord and say, God, whatever you're asking, I would do it. I'd do it for you, for your kingdom, and for my church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, 
this time that we've had together, just this family meeting. God, they're so refreshing when you can just um, come together and, and talk and let our guards down. And Lord, I, I ask that today that the loudest voice in this room has been yours. And God, that in this moment, your Holy Spirit would just speak to every one of us about what it is that you're calling us to do to move South Suburban forward. And God, we, we thank you for the opportunity. We thank you that we get to be a part of this, Lord. It really is a joy. But God, right now, we pray that you would just speak very personally to every person here. God, our heart's desire is to honor you, to pursue you above everything else, to raise up our families, to know you, to love you, to serve you, to reach others with the life-changing gospel of your son, Jesus. And we ask that you would do that through us. Let your purpose be fulfilled through us. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.